You got to have the right tool for the right job. That's the old handyman's mantra. Well, what if the right tool for my CMO brothers and sisters, what if the right tool for the right job is a temporary, a fractional CMO? What if you need someone for that one period or point in time to help you get through some hurdle, some obstacle, you just need help for some short duration? Can you effectively bring a CMO in and have them do the right job at the right time? It turns out you absolutely can. And our guest today has built an entire business around quick fractional CMOs and doing it at value all today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I'm very excited to have our guest on today, Karen Hayward. She is the managing partner of Chief Outsiders, and she is part of the brains behind the operation that brings in fractional CMOs. That's people that come in to serve as a CMO for a specific duration of time to help the company get through a very specific series of challenges. And you would think this is just a niche business. Oh no, my friend, Karen and the team of Chief Outsiders have done this at scale and are doing a phenomenal job of knocking it out of the park and helping mid-sized businesses do this at scale. Now, Part of what's so interesting with this is not just the business model, but the way they go in and how they add value for their clients, how they align and do something amazing with the sales organization as quickly as possible and turn this into something that is a win-win, not only for chief outsiders, but for the companies that they serve. Don't let me tell you about it. I'm going to let Karen do all the talking as you sit back and listen to the podcast. Karen, as we usually start the conversation, who are you and why the heck are you here? Well, good morning. Uh, I am a managing partner with a national consulting firm called Chief Outsiders. We are the largest collection of fractional and part-time Fortune 1000 Chief Marketing Officers for Hire. We serve uh, high growth and mid-market companies. And I think I'm here to talk to you about marketing today. That is exactly why you're here. I mean, we could talk about other subjects. We could talk about fine dining or cooking or kids and lacrosse. We could talk about all sorts of cool stuff, but we're not going to. We are going to talk about marketing. So, Karen, uh, you know, a couple of things. One of the things that I, I, I love about the lunches and the conversations we've had have always been geared around expectations around the CMO and the connection between the CMO and the CEO. So let's start off with this, because I think this is an easy one for us. You bring people in, yourself and your fractional CMOs, your part-time CMOs, they come into organizations. You do this at scale, weekly, daily, by the minute. What is it that you would want the CEOs to know from the CMO's perspective? Where's the disconnect there? Let's start with that one. Well, I think First of all, when when we go in to work with a CEO, it's really to build the growth plan to achieve their vision. And and so you really have to get a lot of clarity around what is the business plan? Where does the CEO want to go? How quickly do they want to go? And then work with them to figure out, okay, what is the plan that's based on data and insights that inform a strategy that you can then execute. So it's kind of those three dimensions of working together. And oftentimes, I think 
CEOs want to go straight to execution and hmm. sometimes skip some of the, the strategic work and, and laying out the plan. I would say that when you look to find that fit between the CEO and the CMO, you really have to have uh, two, two or three things. And it could be two or three. You need to have the right expertise, and then you need to have the right cultural fit. And sometimes industry expertise is important. And then sometimes it's not. Sometimes you want to have a CMO that solved the problem and that same problem in 17 different industries. So mm-hmm. I think those are the important things. Well, let's, uh, let's go back to the strategy piece for a second, because I, I, I do. I think that's one of the ones that I heard, especially with, with earlier stage companies where the strategy does get skipped over. And I think it's, it's this idea of wanting to build momentum as quickly as possible. The CEO's got pressures from boards and investors. They've got pressures they place on themselves. They've got pressures their employees are placing, placing on them. And then they bring a marketer in and they want that marketer to just go, 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 grow, 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 right? So you see this all the time. How do you, how do you one, decipher the signals that that's what's going on with the CEO? And then how do you and your CMOs actually work to like put the brakes on, pause things, build a strategy, but also keep those expectations aligned? Well, that's a good question. I think, first of all, you have to, you have to fly the plane while you're retooling the plane. Yes. So, you've you got to keep things moving forward. But I think the, the most important thing is to be really curious. And I think when you oh. start digging into an organization and really understanding what are the metrics, what are people doing, how well aligned are things, what you find often is a level of frustration because they're executing random acts of marketing. So, like, I'll give you an example. So, oh, we're doing a trade show. Well, okay, what was the ROI in the trade show? Well, don't really know. We didn't really calculate it. Well, where did the leads go? Uh, Well, we're not really sure. Or they went into something. Well, what are we doing to nurture those leads ongoing? Uh, I don't know. We don't have a plan. And, And so, I think this notion of all these random things they're trying to figure out what gets traction um, leads to this frustration where you can then say to the CEO, look, let's just stop a minute and let's get some data and let's analyze sort of where we are. And you can do those kinds of things pretty easily. You know, you flush out your value proposition, flush out your market positioning you know, if you do, if you're in a B2B business, for example, and you do 10 customer interviews and you do a call flow with each of them and find out why you won deals and why you lost deals and reframe the messaging and then find out where do those target people, you know, hang out, then you can take that now more relevant message and go find more of them. So I think it's a combination, you know, some of the things you wrote about in your book, you know, having the right, you know, you know this, Todd, having the right buyer persona, like really deeply understanding who you're going after. Yeah. And then holding the sales force accountable to the ideal customer profile and not chasing squirrel, 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 <laughs> right? And going all over reference. the place. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a really good one. So uh, one thing I want to do before we go too far in the interview, uh, and, and you know, my bad, we should have covered this at the beginning. I don't know that everybody knows what a fractional CMO is. And so what you do and how your organization functions, I think, is very impressive. And what I want to try and do is help people understand how that works and how fractional CMOs work so that that becomes the context for a lot of this conversation. So let's take a pause and go back for a second. Define a fractional CMO for somebody who's listening and going, I don't know what a fractional CMO is. So a fractional CMO is someone who comes into an organization uh, usually on a part-time basis because most of the companies we work with are high growth or mid-market companies yeah. and they don't have endless resources. So what we found over time is that somewhere between half time and a quarter time or a third time is the right amount of time to drive change and, and work with the team. So we'll go in and most of our engagements are four to six months. We get uh, you know, a lay of the land, we get the right insights, the right market inputs, the right data, and from there we build a strategy and then we get execution underway. And most of these companies don't need a Fortune 1000 CMO to drive execution and tweak the dials once the plan's been set, but you do need the right resources, the right structure, and the right partnerships. So, we'll do everything from write the job descriptions, help the team get hired, negotiate the agency agreements, um, and set the CEO up so that they can manage ongoing with the right KPIs to drive the right outcomes that they're looking for in their business. Oh, that's perfect. Okay. So, so you're coming in, you and the team come in, and you you look at these organizations at scale. I mean, one of the things that I, I, I love about your perspective is that you're working across all of these different companies with all of these different types of CMOs. You kind of run the gamut, right? So a CMO might have an experience of working at five or six premier companies in their lifetime, and they've got this sort of storied history with those five or six. You're looking at this and hearing these anecdotes and insights and perspectives, training, steering, and guiding a whole cadre of CMOs against multiples of that, right? So you were kind of seeing the experiences across the board. So one of the things I think we want to we want to try and scratch into is, and you talked a little bit at the beginning, is the expectations of the CEO and bridging these gaps between CMO and CEO. So let's go into that a little bit further in some of the things that you know, maybe you, as a CMO, you want the CEO to know from the marketer's perspective. And then what are some of the other things that marketers are doing to help win over the CEO when they walk in the door and set up those first couple of expectations? Well, I think there's two things right off the bat. Number one is we have an intense focus on delivering value in 30 days. Oh, nice. So, so what is it we can do in 30 days that can move the needle? So I think one of the other things that's really important for a CMO to do is really forge relationships across the organization. So the first one that I think can drive immediate value and in fact drive revenue is building a really strong relationship with the VP of sales. Yeah. Often there's friction between those two, those two teams and organizations. So really being able to walk in their shoes to identify uh, where the gaps are and immediately add value. So that's doing things like gaining agreement and alignment on 
what is our ideal customer profile? What do leads have to look like for the sales force to be excited about them and, you know, charge forward on them? What are the job titles? What are the industries? Um, and really focus on, on building solutions to the things that are most irritating to the, to, the, to the VP of sales. Because at the end of the day, a VP of sales can only focus, having been one, I know this, can only focus on driving the monthly and quarterly revenue numbers. And they really do need a partner in crime to be thinking about how to better serve them top of funnel. And I think you can get like five or 10% revenue growth by just focusing on that. The second relationship I think is really important is with the CFO. And, and that is to say, how do we build out the metrics that the CFO is gonna be comfortable with in terms of the investments and the outcomes we have to deliver to justify those investments. So that's all about working the metrics, working the customer acquisition costs and, and those kind of things. So I think those are the two relationships that can drive quick value, uh, build trust and, and, and good outcomes in short order. Well, and I, I couldn't agree more on the sales side. I, I've been surprised at the number of organizations where I've walked in and there's been immediate animus between sales and marketing, which is a little bit like, you know, siblings fighting, right? You should get along better than this. It's okay to disagree at times, but there's blood running there. You should be on the same team. And so sales and marketing, absolutely. And I've also found when I've worked hard to build that relationship, it's paid off in dividends because now you're working like a cohesive unit. So I would imagine, uh, and I know it varies because you walk into a variety of different scenarios on a daily, weekly basis, but I would imagine that um, it's a breath of fresh air when your team walks in and starts working closely with the sales organization and it's probably unique and not something those salespeople have experienced in the past. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I, th I think because all of our CMOs come from Fortune 1000 companies, they understand how to work things in highly political environments. Yeah. And so, you know, you can just cut to the chase and we're not there to make friends for life. We're there to <laughs> get, you know, alignment and get to the outcome we need in the, in the shortest order. And, you know, I guess the other thing I'd say about fractional CMOs is today... I, I don't believe there's a full stack CMO. There's just no such thing. Yeah. There are CMOs that are really good at pricing. There are CMOs that are really good at product. There are CMOs that are really good at communications and lead gen and demand gen. And so I think, you know, the opportunity that we bring is we can get the right skill set in front of the business at the point in time they need that skill set. So you know, if you're looking to build your growth plan, you, you need someone who can run a strategy and a, and a process, um, you know, which will ultimately lead to maybe some demand gen. So you need to have someone who's done that many, many, many times who has the pattern recognition so that they can go faster and will be able to give you a high confidence plan. Yeah. Well, and this, I think, plays into something, too, that we, we talk about in the book, which is the 10 years, and this has been much ballyhooed, right? The 10 years for CMOs is something along the, the, the line of 18 to 24 months. There's pretty high turnover for CMOs. 
one of the leading factors to that is going back to your comment on strategy and not having a complete understanding of who you're going after in the marketplace and at what stage you're in. And so you come in and you say, well, I'm ready to grow. And so you bring in a growth marketer when you haven't established a good product marketing baseline, you haven't established your market fits, you haven't established who your customers are, and you talked about your ideal customer profile, you haven't figured out what the minimum product looks like to get out the door. So you haven't done any of that baseline work and now all of a sudden you're ready to go, 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 grow, grow, grow. And you've got a marketer in here that's ready to put their pedal on the you know foot on the gas, right? And get things moving. But all of this basics haven't been established yet. And so there's a disconnect. And then I think people get frustrated with, well, why haven't we grown 10X? Well, it's because we don't know what direction to go in, right? So I think the model that you're bringing, which is let's help you figure out the right CMO at the right stage at the right time and bring them in at these inflection points to help along the way is, is really sage and a model that's clearly taking off because you guys are doing gangbuster business. Yeah, in fact, we just got recognized by Forbes as one of the top 25 small businesses in the United States. Wow, that's a, that's a, fa- that's a fantastic validation and, and great feather in the cap for you and the entire team. That's, that's outstanding. I love it. We're pretty excited about that. But to go back to your, uh, to your point, um, I had a, a situation. We were working with a gun storage company in, uh, on the East Coast, and they had a branding problem, and they needed to had some agency, let's call it opportunity. Uh, and, and we put in a CMO who was a top world-class brander who had worked for a gun company as a CMO, Smith and Wesson, hmm. and and really got to move the needle and and clean up their brand and achieve those objectives. But at the end end of that sort of two month period, she came and said to me, "You know, there's an e-commerce strategy that needs to be put in play here, and we need an e-commerce skill set." She says, "I don't have it." I said, "Okay, let's get." our e-commerce CMO to go in and we had this beautiful transition handoff. We transferred all the knowledge and we were able to bring the right skill set at the right time. Cause you got to fix the brand first. Right? Yeah, sure. And then, and then we were able to grow that business 300% year over year because we could bring that right world-class skill set at the right time against a problem they have solved many, many times. One of the things that I love about being on C-Suite Radio is our sponsors. That's right. It's the people who spend good time, effort, energy, and money to make this show happen. And we have a phenomenal list of sponsors that help this show get off the ground. I'd like you to take a listen to one here right now. Well, thank you so much for listening to our sponsor. And now we're excited to get back to our conversation with Karen Hayward. Well, and this goes back to your idea of the the notion that there's a full stack CMO, that there's a single person, a one size fits all individual. Um, you know, one of the earliest interviews we had on the podcast was uh, was John Miller, who is the C co-founder of uh, Marketo, and he's gone on to Engageo and a few other things. and And he just this isn't a new idea, but he put it so well you have to think of marketing as three distinct disciplines. You've got your product people, you've got your growth people, you know, your lead gen, your performance people, and then you've got your, your brand communications corporate folks. 
And the odds that you're going to get all three of those in a single individual, it, it doesn't exist. And if it does, they're getting picked up by Coca-Cola or Ford, right? So you can't afford those people. You're lucky if you get two. Odds are you're getting one and you may get one that's really good in that discipline, but they're not going to be everything you need them and all the others. So I love this idea, especially how you modeled this of, okay, you can make these transitions between one to the next and how do you bring the right person in and how do you know that? And I, I think I got to go back a step. This is one of the things that's a singular frustration for CEOs. They don't understand the discipline of marketing. They're not supposed to, right? It's not a deficit. They can't know all things for everybody. They don't know the discipline of marketing. Marketers come in and they tell a really good story. Marketers by their nature, like salespeople can be really convincing and and so now you have this CMO who's walked in, convinced the CEO to go do something, but they might not be the right fit. And so having these uh, transitional, fractional, part-time CMOs come in to help at these inflection points is just such a great model. Well, you know, I'd even add on to that and say, by the time you've, you've got the right insights and the data, you build the strategy, you get the plan right down to the campaign, you know, we'll build out an 18-month marketing plan for the company. The, the CMO that is really excited about unraveling the ball yarn and exploring <laughs> the positioning of the company and fixing the product and working with, you know, the team, isn't the CMO that's going to be excited when the CEO says, and how come our, our, our top line conversion went down by a tenth of a percent? They're two yeah. different sense. Yeah, they are. CMO that's a problem solver and a strategy plan builder. And then you've got an operational CMO. And I really think that is why, that is one of the reasons to, as to why there's so much turnover in this role. Yeah. Because when you go in and you build the plan, you don't necessarily want to be the person driving it. And I don't think most of these companies need the expense of that top line world-class CMO to drive execution. I think they need in a lot of cases, a director of marketing or a junior VP of marketing that will be excited about executing the plan and maybe under the tutelage of, you know, a CMO coach. Cause we do a lot of that as well. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the, that's one of the interesting models as well is when you have that person, we'll call them the zero to hundred person right there. They want to get things up and running. They want to get things moving. And then you've got another person who will take it from 100 to 120. And then there's another skill set that takes it from 100 to 120.5 to 120.7 to 120.8. And they're perfectly comfortable at those small incremental changes. But the skill set of that last person is wildly different than let's move and let's get things going and let's, let's decouple all this stuff and work through it. And I love your, let's un, uh, let's undo the ball of yarn that's in there. Right. It's a great way of putting it. So yeah, very, very different skill sets and very different mindsets and, uh, and having the right person sort of butts and seats. The other thing that's been interesting and I've seen this happen too, is the CMO that was in that role that took him from zero to a hundred, then goes and moves on to some other role within the organization. You value the skill set, you value the expertise. So now you make that person a GM or that person becomes the ops person, or they become a customer success person, or they become a brand evangelist, or they move into an advisor or sort of a, a semi board role in the organization. 
So there's some longevity that you can still have within a company if you're taking that traditional approach. It just might not be CMO for life. And, and I think that title sort of goes away. You know, the, the, the other thing is, you know, when I started at Chief Outsiders five years ago, my, one of my very first clients was an environmental services company, and I had no experience in environmental services. We just started working together, built out the plan. They started growing like crazy. And, you know, five years later, we've done four other projects for them. So because you have this knowledge of the company, yeah. you can dip back in. So for example, uh, last year they had launched this product and they weren't getting any traction with it. And I knew they, were, they had really good sales talent because I placed the sales talent for them and I had a deep relationship with them. So I knew their, their sales talent was great. So it had to be a marketing issue. So we, we got brought back in and in two months, help them solve the marketing problem around the product launch. And now they're up on their way. So we can come in and then step away and still know all about the company, the culture, the products and, and their go to market plan. Cause we might've built it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and having that deep relationship, I think works really, really well. So I, I want to take us back a second to something you talked about at the, at the very beginning you know, you talked about these random acts of marketing, right? And, and one of the things that I, I love about that is it's, um, it's these self-contained little silos that I think all these organizations have. You walk in and again, your, your field uh, event example is spot on. I can't tell you how many places I've walked in. It's like, okay, well, here's our seven trade shows. Well, why are you going to them? What are we trying to accomplish? Who's there? What's the goal? Are we just generating foot traffic on the floor? Are we meeting people in, you know, behind the scenes in the back rooms? And not having a clear answer for any of those, it's just kind of like, well, we've always done it this way. And, and how dangerous that is and how wasteful that is and how what a, not only a burden on the marketing team, but also a drain on the re- reputation of the marketing organization. So talk a little bit about these random acts of marketing. And I know this is something that you've been spending a lot of time and energy thinking on as you've worked with companies to help them develop their more holistic strategy. Yeah. So um, first of all, I'm writing a book called Stop Random Acts of Marketing. So it's something I'm super passionate about. And, you know, over the last five years, I think personally I've been involved. I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of CEOs on the speaking circuit. And what, what, what is astonishing is you can lay out all the growth issues that they face and you can say, here are the top 10 issues we see. What do you see? And they all resonate when you talk about random acts of marketing. They all start to laugh and giggle and, <laughs> and, and they all know they're doing it. So it's really something that, that seems to um, have, seems to resonate. So, I'll give you an example uh, of a couple of things we do. So very early on, we'll, we'll go in and we focus on getting insights. So one of the things that I think can yield incredible opportunity is doing win-loss analysis. Hmm. So you go in, you speak to 10, 10 clients, you speak to maybe five people who decided to go somewhere else, 
and you find out why you're winning and why you're losing. So I'll, I'll give you, can I give you two quick examples? Yeah, lay it on me. Let's hear them. So I was working with a cybersecurity company in, uh, in Canada and the sales force said, oh, well, we have a new competitor now. They're $15,000 cheaper than us. And that's why we're losing. And so the, the firm was about to take a price decrease. And I said, well, well, wait, 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 let's get the data. Let's get the facts. So we, uh, we did a win-loss analysis. And what we learned was that it wasn't the price that was the issue. It was the fact that they were now competing with, with an acquisition that had just been made by Dell. And hmm. Dell tell this whole story about product roadmap that made them uncomfortable because our company couldn't talk about product roadmap because they had not trained the sales force and they didn't build out that story. Interesting. Right? So we're losing all this business. The sales force feels like it's price. And really it turned out to be something that we could absolutely fix super quickly. Right. You, you, you get the CTO to lay out the, the plan. You do a video of him, you get a white paper and you train the sales force with, uh, a little, you know, video clip to run. Um, so, so we were able to keep the price at a $15,000 premium yeah. and go back and, and gain that market momentum that we had lost. Well, and I know you've got another example here, but I think the thing that's fascinating with this is, so had you not done that, you still would have been losing money and you would have taken, you would have lost deals and taken the price decrease. So it would have been a double whammy. So the fact that you were able to go in and find that helped from adding on to the woes of the company by making a decision that would have hurt it doubly so. 100%. Yeah. Low hanging fruit, right? And it doesn't right. cost a lot of money. Yeah. I think one of the things, the themes that I'm picking up here is, you know, you're looking at this as what are the easy low hanging fruits, the the easy pickings that we can do and the approach that, I think a lot of marketers are trying to take some marketers still come in and they want the big plan and they want to map things out for the next six months and they want perfection before they, you know, start moving forward to use your fixing the plane while flying the plane for them. It's landing the plane. Let's do maintenance on the plane. And then when we're positive and sure, then we can launch the plane again. And I think what you're looking at is, Hey, what are the little things that we can do along the way? How can we make small incremental improvements? So do you think it's safe to say, and I'm extrapolating here, that a CEO working with a new CMO should really look to the CEMO to have these quick little, hey, what can you do over the next 30, 60, 90 days to help improve business and start making those smaller incremental changes and looking for those quick wins, those low-hanging fruit, and making sure that that person doesn't go deep and go land the plane for six months before they're ready to go take off again. Yeah, I think, I, I think a good CMO is that's absolutely the approach. And, you know, an example would be um, everybody shops online digitally before they decide who they're going to vet as a vendor. Right. Right. So why not do a digital analysis that can take, you know, Two, two weeks, let's say, do a digital analysis on all your top competitors, see where you are, and then steal all of your competitors' good ideas. I mean, that's easy. And it doesn't really cost any money. Right. Right? Uh, another idea, um, you know, work with your sales force, like driving sales alignment, 
right, is so important as we've just discussed. So talk to the sales force about the big objections they're getting. And then write blogs on the big objections with the subject matter experts, get them search engine optimized, and pop them on the website. Traffic goes through the roof because you're talking about the most highly relevant issues yeah. that, that your audience is grappling with. So there are just all of these little techniques that come with the pattern recognition of going in to strange environments and having to figure this out over and over and over. Oh, I love that. Okay. Um, yeah, I think we could come up with a list of like Karen's top 20 low hanging fruit, easy marketing wins cookbook, right? Uh, it's the easy bake oven version of marketing. I think that would be, I think that would be fun. Maybe there's a good blog there, uh, but th that was fantastic. So I'm going to recap a couple of things we talked about and then give us a, a chance to go into sort of the, the last couple of thoughts. Uh, love that we started talking about this idea of fractional CMOs and bringing people in at these, these specific inflection points. And that's not to say that the traditional model doesn't work or can't work, but that there's organizations that are ready for, ripe for this more fractional uh, short-term inflection point model. And that works really well for companies. And you gave a couple of really salient examples of where that does. I liked your ideas of coming in and thinking about this as expertise, fit as in terms of culture, and then even where the industry role plays. Is that important or not important? Do you want someone with that deep industry experience or do you want someone who's got good uh, marketing bones and can come in and be flexible and extrapolate themselves into that role? I love your idea. Love your idea about being curious because I think that's so key. If you can bring somebody in who's curious and wants to discover and uncover what's happening in the organization and then is then willing to work with the sales organization, work with the CFO, work with the CEO and build those bonds and build those relationships, that is so key and goes such a long way. And I think that curiosity of any personality type plays in better than just about anything else. The insanely curious are, are always typically um, are, are very successful in these types of roles. And then the, uh, the other piece is your idea of this random acts of marketing, which I so love and I'm excited to see when the, when the book will come out. But this idea that all these random things happen, that there's these little, you know, we've been doing it this way for a while, or here's this event we're going to, or we've always done the 60-page white paper. Why wouldn't we go do that? Well, nobody reads 60-page white papers anymore, right? So kind of looking at that and breaking all the myths and stereotypes that are in an organization, and then putting a plan and a strategy around that, and then ending with what can we do quickly to establish the, the goodness of marketing and get some low-hanging fruit wins in those first 30, 60, 90 days, and what does that look like? So is that a pretty good summation of everything we've talked about? I, I think so. I, <laughs> I would add one, one point, which, which is there's a completely different orientation that you have to have between a CEO that's running a company and a CEO that's growing a company. Oh, yeah, go into that. If you're running the company, you're optimizing inside the four walls and you're driving productivity and efficiency with what you have. If you're growing a company, you're optimizing outside the four walls. Oh, nice. You're capitalizing on market trends. You're capitalizing on regulatory trends. You're capitalizing on 
what's happening in your target customer environments? What, what experiences and changes are they undergoing? What's the feedback from your, your customers and your lost customers? So there, there's just two completely different orientations. And we did some research with the University of Texas and it talks about those two different orientations hmm. and that, you know, an organization that looks outside the window and has a market-based framework for growing their business will grow much faster than the, than the rate of the industry will grow. Um, so I think it's just something to keep in mind. Are we as an organization, as a mid-market or high-growth company, are we dedicating enough time to looking outside the window? Yeah. Well, and I think it also plays into as companies are bringing on CMOs and CMOs are evaluating this role, whether they're coming in on an interim basis or whether they're coming in for a longer term, understanding what the orientation, the point of view, the perspective, the motivation of the CEO is, and using that to evaluate whether they're the right fit or not. Because if they're a growth CMO, but they're coming into an inside the four walls CEO there may be conflict there. And so understanding that you have different points of view and perspectives, uh, I think plays a critical role into that cultural fit that you were talking about at the very beginning of this interview. hundred percent. Love it. Okay. Karen, uh, this was fantastic. Such a delight. We're looking forward to the book, uh, every success with chief outsiders. I'm so glad you were recognized by Forbes. That's a, again, huge kudos to you and the team for that. Um, great having you on and talking not only about this modeling of, of fractional CMOs, but really building the relationship across the organizations, these ideas of low-hanging fruit and establishing value pretty quickly, and then everything we talked about in terms of um, you know, kind of finding that fit, that cultural fit, and what that really looks like. Such a great conversation. Thank you for hopping on today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to connect. All right, thanks. Hello, that was great. So I so enjoy listening to Karen. She's a good friend. She has such a great perspective and a great voice in terms of what she's trying to do in the marketplace and what Chief Outsiders is trying to do and how she really thinks about this. I love that they go in and start delivering value within 30 days. They look at that proverbial low-hanging fruit. And as I think about other CMOs that come in longer term, full-time employees that try and create and craft these grand visions, I find that their struggle is not creating value and finding a way to showcase their talents and help move the needle in the organization in those first 30, 60, 90 days. And the way that Chief Outsiders does this, I think, is phenomenal. If you would like to hear more or learn more from Karen, you can follow her. Easiest place is on the Chief Outsiders website. That's Chief Outsiders, just like it sounds. And look for her as the profile under Karen Hayward. You can also find her on LinkedIn under Karen-Hayward. That's Karen-Hayward, H-A-Y-W-A-R-D. And for us, you will find great insights from people like Karen and others on and in our book, Beyond Product, that's Beyond Product, which is now available and hot listed on Amazon. It's available in your local Barnes and Noble, and it's also available on barnesandnoble.com. The book is doing remarkably well and is geared towards helping founders, entrepreneurs, and business leaders be well, better founders, entrepreneurs, and business leaders. Would love to hear from you in terms of your thoughts and ideas around the book. We're taking reviews on Amazon. 
Um, but please just reach out directly and let me know what you think. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Karen, for jumping on today. And we will see you next time. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.